0: Most of you are aware that the Roman Catholic Church has begun what they call a synod, a synod on synodality, which is um, a time for the church to rethink issues and know how to move forward. And in in preparation for that, several cardinals had presented what they call the uh, the dubia, uh, dubium, or for the singular dubia, plural, Uh, It really means, uh, it's a Latin word for doubts, things that they had doubts about. They did not understand what Pope Francis' position was on a number of issues that they considered are modernistic or liberal or progressive, then most of these cardinals really did not want to see changes in the church that they saw, that they believed they saw happening. And I want to just comment a little bit on that. Pope Francis has published a, uh, a response to these dubia. And you can find those on the Vatican News. If if you've never been to that website, it's vaticannews.va. And that's an excellent source of discovering what's really happening with Pope Francis and the Vatican directly from the Vatican and not being filtered through some other news source that might have its own agenda. So there were five dubia that were presented, and we'll touch these. We'll talk a little bit about the whole nature of, of dubia, of doubts. But the first one was a question about divine scripture, divine revelation. Can it be reinterpreted? And Pope Francis basically responded that uh, scripture is always being reinterpreted. We're we're not trying to change the faith. We're always trying to apply the faith and apply, apply scriptures to our own personal situation, our own culture, our own lives. And those of us who read the scriptures on a daily basis know that What happens is, as you read the same scripture you may have read ten times, but there's always something new in there for us. And so Pope Francis is allowing for that. He's saying, yes, we're not trying to change the church's understanding of scripture, but we're always trying to move forward and to gain deeper understanding and insights into Holy Scripture. And so that was the first dubia. Uh, The second one had to do with the blessing of same-sex unions. Um, and some bishops and some priests have, have apparently done this, drawing a distinction between a same-sex union and a same-sex marriage. Uh, of course, the church's definition of marriage is one woman, one man and one woman, who joined together for the purpose of procreation, participating in God's creative act in having children. And Pope Francis says the church's understanding of marriage has not changed. However, uh, there are a lot of same-sex Catholics, good practicing Catholics, and they may want to uh, come to a priest, their local pastor, and say, we need a blessing. And Pope Francis leaves it up to the individual pastor that they can bless people, individuals, who may or may not be involved in a same-sex relationship without changing the definition of marriage. Now this is a constant theme of Pope Francis's ministry is to not try to rule everyone from the top down, but to allow individuals who are involved in ministry to be able to assess the situation and make a pastoral judgment. So he's saying, if if you're a pastor and you've got two people come to you and they say we need a blessing, and the pastor is free to bless them as individuals, even though they're not um, off, they're not providing any sort of um, ecclesiastical authorization to their same-sex relationship. So that's a pastoral option that Pope Francis is has allowed. Now the third dubian has to do with um, the Synod. What is a synod? Why are we why do we need a synod? Why what does synodality have to do with the leadership of the church? And this is quite frankly a long-standing issue that has from the very beginning in the book of Acts, when there are issues of questions about how the church should move forward, and in the book of Acts that was specifically the inclusion of Gentiles into the church. What you do is you gather all the bishops and in the Book of Acts the apostles and the bishops and the uh, all those who are involved in ministry together and they pray and they make a decision and that decision is binding upon the church. Now, following the Book of Acts, whenever there's been a question uh, in the church, usually it arises out of some uh, heretical statement by uh, by a bishop, and the church needs to make a proclamation on that. Uh, they gather all the bishops together. They pray, they consider the issue, the issue of proclamation, and that proclamation is then binding upon the church. This happened at um, Nicaea, it happened at Chalcedon, and, and uh, there have been many, many um, ca- councils in antiquity and even in our own lifetime to deal with issues concerning the church, and they publish their own documents. Most recently, of course, for us has been the Second Vatican Council. And it published several documents referring uh, to, to instruct the church on how to move forward. Now, prior to that, um, at the first Vatican Council, <coughs> excuse, there was, a, there was some, an issue of it's so hard to get all the bishops together. As the church is growing worldwide, it's becoming much more difficult to gather all the bishops together in a place and so they developed uh, a doctrine which we typically refer to as the infallibility of the pope which is probably very poorly named but what that doctrine understands is is that rather than get all the bishops together in one place the pope can query the bishops he can write to the bishops he can talk to the bishops about a specific issue and gather into his uh, into his own understanding what the consensus of the church is. What is the consensus of the faithful? And then he can issue a proclamation, ex cathedra, meaning from the chair, from the chair of authority, and that becomes binding on the church. doesn't mean the Pope is infallible in everything he thinks or says or does, but that he has the potential of having kind of like a a very mini church council. Gather all the bishops um, and discuss it with them, not altogether physically, but through letters or in today's society's emails or phone calls and find out what the position of the church is and issue a proclamation. And we call that the authority, the infallibility of the Pope. Well, Pope Francis has done something a little bit new. Rather than only interrogate bishops, he began with the lay people of the Catholic faith all over the world and asked them to present what they felt like what the needs of the church were and how the church could move forward. And then those responses were filtered through their local bishops and now they're coming together in what they call a synod, not a council, but a synod to provide advice to the Holy Father. To let the Holy Father know what's going on in the Catholic Church around the world so he will have greater understanding as he seeks to move the church forward. So it's not a council in the sense that we're expecting a, an infallible proclamation or new documents, but it is providing, providing counsel, synodality, which is, means walking together, so the Pope can walk together with the faithful of the Catholic Church. And that's really what the Synod did, and that was one of the dubia. Now, one of the, another one of the dubia had to do with the ordination of women. And Pope Francis um, basically said, that's not an issue we're answering at this point. We're not dealing with that yet. We have the issue of the ordination of women in the Anglican communion. Anglicans, of course, are very close to the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has not considered the ordination of women. And so it's really not an issue yet at this point. Pope Francis has opened a um, a commission or committee of theologians to discuss The ordination of women as deacons, deaconesses. Um, You can read about them in Scripture. They're a long-standing tradition in the church, and exactly what the Roman Catholic Church should do with the concept of having deaconesses. So they wouldn't be ordained like a priest and not celebrating Mass, but they would be able to um, minister through teaching and through counseling and through so many um, things that women are very, very good at. Women tend to be very nurturing. And that is certainly a part of the pastoral ministry. And if deacons were allowed or deaconesses were allowed in the church, that would be um, something that could be a very positive move forward. But the church is making no decision on that at this point. He has a commission considering that. But there's no discussion of ordination of women as priests at this point. And so that was one of the dubia that he has raised. And then the final one has to do with Uh, Is forgiveness a human right? In other words, if you go to confession, you confess a sin, does the priest have the duty to absolve you, or does he have the ability to say, I'm not going to absolve you. I don't think you are sufficiently penitent, sufficiently repentant. And this has come up a lot uh, in our current day, because a lot of young couples live together without being married. And maybe they'll eventually get married, and and so. But the, from the church's standpoint, that's considered to be a sin. And if you have a young person coming to you who um, confesses they're living with someone, and the priest says, "I'm not going to absolve you because you're going to go back home and live with the same person again," um, that's a difficult question. The Council of Trent did make some provision for um, the, for repentance as being necessity for um, for forgiveness. However, in the real world, absolutely everyone I know has some habitual sins that they um, seem to commit over and over again. And I hear confessions, and they come back and they confess the same thing to me again and again. And um, there is actually no allowance in the rite of reconciliation. In the, that's a liturgical book. instructs the priest on how to do reconciliation, there's no allowance there for a priest to withhold absolution. If the penitent prays the act of contrition, which states, you know, I thoroughly intend to amend my life, it's not in the priest's authority to say, I don't believe you. You're not, you're lying to me and send them away without granting them absolution. Now, Pope Francis is trying to explain to the cardinals who are presenting this dubia that they're misunderstanding the the depth and breadth of God's mercy. Jesus, The scripture says that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it seems very judgmental. And presumptuous on the part of a priest to say well I heard you confess your sins but this time he's God's not going to forgive you because I don't think you're sufficiently penitent so again Pope Francis tries us to explain pay attention to the mercy of God listen to the mercy of God and always minister forgiveness and mercy to people so those are the, the dubia now My own personal reflection on those is that when I was uh, an evangelical Protestant minister, there were a couple of issues that Protestants would always uh, argue about. And one of them was baptismal regeneration. Is baptism required for salvation? And each side had their own scriptures, and they would quote them back and forth at each other, and people got nowhere. And another one was uh, eternal salvation. If you are once saved, always saved. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, but say, stated, you believe in him? Are you guaranteed heaven or can you fall? And the both sides, you know, there's a side that says yes, there's a side that says no. And both sides have their own scriptures and they shout those back and forth at each other. You know, what it reminds me of is the three blind men who uh, encounter an elephant. And one grabs hold of the leg and says, oh, it's a tree. And one touches the side of the elephant and says, it's a wall. And a third touches the trunk and says, it's a snake. Now, I see this often when people find some little piece, uh, some little scripture, some little verse that they like to quote, some, uh, something they exert from one of the councils, and there are many councils, hundreds of thousands of pages from councils and from church fathers, Doctors of the church, and they find some little snippet that they say this is the truth. This is the teaching of the church. And the reality is that there is so much information, so much to understand, that who can grasp it? And the fact is, there was only one who could ever grasp it all, and that is Christ Himself. And Christ summarized everything that was as ever been said or taught about God, all revelation. Uh, both up to that point and after that point. And this is what he said. This is the sum of it all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we focus on that principle, on the principle of love of God and love of neighbor, maybe we wouldn't argue about so many things or have so many doubts or concerns if we all focus on living a life of love then maybe a lot of these other little details will seem to slip away well that's my little input on this issue of the dubia and i hope it's helpful to some of you i know you will all hear uh some people say oh pope francis is a liberal or "Pope francis has gone off the edge um and he does he doesn't understand the teachings of the church he's changing the doctrines of the church no i don't think any of that is true I believe he is trying to move the church forward in the principle of love and sharing together, synodality, walk together. God bless you. I hope you're having a great day and thank you for listening to this podcast.